This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Miranda Tapsell, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's very strange days, isn't it? We're still doing all these things via um, technical things like Zoom at the moment, which I'm still kind of adjusting to. Um, And I was on a podcast yesterday and uh, because I'd never been the person that pressed records, I forgot to press record. So rest assured, Miranda, I've done it this time. (laughs) It's all good. All good. Okay. Superstar, Miranda Tapsell, writer, producer, star of the box office hit Top End Wedding. Miranda shot to fame in The Sapphires, Love Child and Doctor Doctor. Miranda looks back on a successful career at only the age of 32, mind you, with insights into movie making, memoir writing, opens up a conversation about the negative narrative that has been about Aboriginal people. As a woman of colour and a proud Larrakia and Tiwi woman, Miranda feels she has to push for change. In her dynamic memoir, Miranda shows us the power of storytelling to change attitudes and expectations. As Miranda reveals, we all need to understand so things can change. And that's so true, isn't it? Okay, so tell me a little bit about how it all started, how you got to where you are now. Well, I grew up in, um, when I was five years old, I moved to Kakadu National Park. There's a little town there called Jabaroo. And it was, um, I don't think I quite appreciated it when I first moved there because when I was five, I wanted to be a ballerina. And there were no oh. ballet classes in Jabiru. No. Um, <laughs> no. But um, I look back on my childhood uh, with such fondness because um, as much as I wanted that, um, that very Degrassi American type of living where you walk around like malls and things and drinking milkshakes and eating burgers, I actually really value the fact that I uh, lived like I was obviously... Um, going out to all of these vast, isolated places. And and my school holidays were spent camping and um, fishing and being outdoors. And I think it's a beautiful way for a a kid to grow up. It really is. And I think think that's so true, you know, the fact that you refer to. You don't really appreciate it at the time because you think you're missing out. But it's not until you get older and you look back. I mean, I I grew up um, as a migrant in this country. My parents are Lebanese. And when we came, we lived in Glebe, which was a really, really poor Sydney suburb at the time. And I was embarrassed for a long time about that, the fact that I was very different to everybody else. Um, And then now that I'm grown up um, and as I was growing up, I look back at that time and they were the best years of my life. Absolutely. Um, It's, uh, I know, well, your formative years really shape who you are. So it is if you and I, and I didn't realize how many 
see my castmate um, in my film Top End Wedding, Gwillem, he, yeah. I, when I took him out to Ubia Lookout in Kakadu, he said to me, I've never been somewhere before where I feel like the last man on earth. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, of course you wouldn't know what this is like because you grew up in Birmingham and now you live in London. And um, I didn't realise that that's such a rare experience for someone to have, to, to be, uh, to live in that isolation. And I think, how, yeah, it was very lucky for me to have that unique experience. And to live in that community too, where, you know, you know everybody, they know you. And that that is very different to growing up in a city, isn't it? Absolutely. And this book, while it does talk about um, all the wonderful opportunities I've been granted, I think what I, what I think is important and I think what I really try and live by um, as much as I can is the fact that you always, like whenever you succeed, you always bring people with you. Um, especially, I so members, agree with that. especially members of your community. Like you don't forget the people that helped you get to where you are. And that, that's the way I was raised. I was always raised to, to think like that, that while, you know, you're allowed to have dreams and aspirations, that it is important to always take a moment to think outside of yourself as well. And I think too, you're allowed to have dreams and aspirations, but also that you're part of a bigger picture. And I think you see that more in community than not. Absolutely. And I think it's a wonderful way to live. I mean, why would you want to be all by yourself up the top? Like, what's the point in um, having all of these uh, wonderful successes if you don't have anyone to share it with. Yeah. Hey, do you know, I, I have got a very strong memory and, and this is quite some time ago, maybe 20 or 30 years ago of watching the Madonna documentary. I can't yes. called now. Yeah. Okay. So this is going back a few years because I think I saw it at the movie. So it's giving away my age, right? But um, I remember. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> that's <laughs> but I remember her, part of that documentary was one night she finished a performance at whatever time that was, 1am or 2am, whatever, and coming back to her hotel room and just being all alone. And for the first time, it made me think, wow, that's not as glamorous as I'd like it to be. Yeah, I guess for me, um, whenever I watch like a film or a, like um, or read a book, if anyone's lonely, <laughs> I think that's when it hits me the hardest. Like I can't, I'm not, I'm, I, I suddenly become very vulnerable seeing characters who are alone. I think that's why I love romantic comedy so much is because they do touch on someone's loneliness. While, you know, women don't need men to live their fullest life, I think it's more just about the fact that, like, you know, not having family nearby or not having friends or not having, yet loneliness is something that really affects me. And mm. I think that's what it's, um, I don't know why it has that powerful effect. Maybe it's because I'm an only child. But the thing was, being an only child, um, I had such a unique experience because I was never alone. During school holidays, my cousins would all end up at my place and sleep over. Either that or my mum and my my relatives would take us all out camping. So, you know, I was constantly surrounded by company. I think maybe that's 
I'm so grateful that my parents did that for me. But I, but I think too that, um, yeah, it's such a little soft spot for me. Um, tell me, are you in isolation just like the rest of us? Oh yeah, I, I guess we all have to be, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and how are you coping with that? Um, oh, I think I think I go through different stages. There are times where I'm obviously on top of it, and I think, oh, you know, I've, I've got this. I can I can deal with this. You know, I've got flowers in my uh, apartment. I've got little plants. I've got candles to make it smell nice. I'm, you know, I've got books. I've got a book stack, you know, I've got things, but it's, uh, I think it hit me the hardest when it was Easter and like my mum had sent me chocolates and said, you know, I, even though I saw her before the pandemic hit, like she came down, her and dad came down to Melbourne to visit me. Like, so it hasn't been a long time since I've seen her. I think the idea that I can't go and see her, like that I can't jump on a plane and go and see her is the thing that upset me the most. (laughs) I think it's been really hard. I think you touched on it a little bit too about being an only child. I mean, I live on my own and I've never felt that I lived on my own until now. And I was saying to a friend the other day, being alone and being alone in isolation are two very different things. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Like um, I think when you can't go and see people um, and that's obviously that's very necessary, but it's just like that when that notion is put to you, I guess it's really hard because you go, oh, what, what do I do with myself, you know? Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Although I, I used to relish my me time and now I'm sick of my me time. <laughs> Although I think one good thing to come out of this is that I think because that's kind of affected everyone, uh, I love that like an attitude has changed with the way I've communicated with family and friends and I feel like it's it might be the same for them too. I could be wrong, but um, I feel as if um, before the pandemic, I always used to think, oh, well, I don't need to call mum and dad because they're always there. You know, Um, I don't need to, I don't need, I I don't need to call this friend back because, you know, I can always, I can always ring them. But now there's this thing of, you know, I'm making more of an effort to stay in touch with everyone because I can't see them physically. So I think that's a really lovely thing to come out of it. So I hope that, I don't know, this pandemic teaches me to keep that going after it's cleared. (laughs) I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I feel as though, um, you know, lots and lots of industries have been affected um, and, uh, you know, quite seriously, uh, particularly, you know, like um, the airline industry and, and all sorts of industries. But so has the performing arts in a very big way, you know, because it's all about people and performance, isn't it? And it's all about audience and how are you dealing with that? Yeah, well, um, I'm quite fortunate. I've managed to keep my head above water. But I think in the grand scheme of things, the fact that so many artists who can't work at the moment that have fallen through the cracks, mm-hmm. it's when you, when you are a freelancer and you, you have to explain that you don't just have one job, you've got, you've got like 50 jobs in the year. It's just not fair that we have to, that, that we're just forgotten mm-hmm. in all of this. And I guess... The process to support artists during this time, like uh, artists shouldn't have to jump through hoops. Mm. It should be just like everybody else's, right? Yeah, exactly. Life is hard enough as a freelancer, you know, Mm. and there are so many people who have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because things have had to understandably be shut down. It's, I think it is important for people to see us as small businesses, that like, you know, that we are a business, the entertainment industry, and that's how we conduct ourselves in that way. Mm. So uh, when people see us as a trade and not a hobby, that's when, you know, I think people outside of the industry need to see it that way and, and make, you know, the people in power understand that. Surely people aren't seeing it as a hobby. That's depressing, isn't it? I, I hope not. Because while I can't speak for other people, I know that I got into this work because it gave me a fulfillment. It gave me a purpose. It gave me a reason to get out of bed. Being able to do what I love doesn't mean that I am blasé or slack about it. It it might not be seen as essential, but I can see how much during this time, I can, I can see how much people have really uh, turned to the arts to get them through this with the books they read, the podcasts they listen to, the, ga- the, the video games they play, the, um, the TV shows they watch, the films they watch. This is all art. These are all trained professionals who have put this together to make you feel good. And I can't think of someone who doesn't it's it's just crazy to me when someone says, "Oh, I don't really watch. I don't really watch TV." It's like, okay, sure, but you've still got a TV in your house. Like, there yeah. will be a moment in time where you will turn on the television because yeah. you want to unwind. <laughs> you do. Hey, let me use that as a segue. Tell me how your career began. So, how you went, say, for instance, from school into this fabulous career, and how it this young age of, what is it, 32, that you have come to writing a memoir? Uh, well, um, the lovely uh, Vanessa Radnidge. Lovely. Um, yes, lovely. She is, she's wonderful. She, uh, she was the one that kind of approached me um, when I was uh, starting to develop um, the film with uh, my, my co-writer and friend, Josh Tyler. Yeah. And I had got, I had just gotten engaged. So um, it was going to really make for an interesting story like that this little go-getter 
is getting married in the same year that she's making a film about a wedding. (laughs) And, um, you know, rom-coms might not be for them and that's fine, but I I, I love so many things, but I think this rom-coms just give me so much joy. And I think during this time, I think a lot of people want stuff to make them happy. Absolutely. But I but that's why I wanted to make this film with Josh and the fact that Vanessa let me speak about it, about how I made it and how I got married in the same year uh, was a really exciting thought. I love the fact that, you know, uh, Nora Ephron also wrote books as well as make films. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, like Nora Ephron had done it. Why can't I? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you finished school, right? Tell me how you got into the industry as such. Well, um, so my mum signed me up to tap dancing classes when I was in Jabiru area school. And while it wasn't quite ballet, I got this thrill of being on stage. As a six-year-old, I found it so invigorating. And of course, naturally, I was nervous before I was going out on stage for the first time because I thought, oh, what if I forget all the steps? That hasn't left me. That still, <laughs> that fear is still there. But the fact that all of the people that had come to see us dance gave us a big clap at the end, I just couldn't believe it. It wasn't about the gratification of it. I think it was just the fact that I could be anything. I felt like before I decided to be a performer, people didn't know what they had in common with me. So often they try and break the ice with me by saying, when are you going to grow, Miranda? When are you going to get taller? I felt like, it, you know, like you, when, when you were growing up in Glebe, that I, I wasn't embarrassed to be Aboriginal, but I certainly had to justify myself a lot of the time. Absolutely. And, and that can be really hard when you're put on the spot and you haven't got the words to kind of explain the way you see things, especially when you haven't got books or like you haven't got a lot of books or film. And t- like while those things are still being made, you really had to dig to find them. Yeah, I guess um, the fact that I found it so freeing to be able to express myself and show I was more than the limitations that people placed on me. Yeah, much, much more. So tell me, what was your first acting job? Well, uh, um, I did quite a lot of acting in Darwin. Yeah. Uh, I I performed in a lot of local theatre throughout high school and I also performed at school. Um, Like I was a massive nerd about it all. But this was the crazy thing. I was very lucky to uh, get into the National Institute of Dramatic Art and uh, a couple of months out from graduating, the wonderful Ursula Jovic, who plays my mum in Top and Wedding, she was about uh, seven months pregnant and she was unable to perform in this show because it was too close to the due date. And the wonderful uh, Dallas Winmar had written this play called Yibby Young and I was asked to audition. And it was really fabulous because um, this was going to be the lead role and Ursula had recommended me to the director Wesley Enoch and I was so incredibly thankful that NIDA had because normally they hadn't allowed 
you know, students to uh, leave um, or to continue studying, you'd have to leave the school if you were going to um, continue performing. So, oh, I see. Yeah. So the thing, the thing was like uh, Belvoir had begged and begged and begged the school. You know, I obviously still had to hand in my coursework and all of that sort of stuff that I could do this play. And I was so thankful because how often does a role like that come along for a young Aboriginal woman? And the thing is, the reason why, you know, the Kate Blanchett's and the Nicole Kidman's and Naomi Watts of the world, uh, the Yvonne Strahovski's, like the reason why they're so brilliant is because someone gave them a shot you know someone someone saw something in them and cast them in something and that's how you get better when you give an artist permission to work on their craft that's how they get better and I was absolutely thrown into the deep end and I got to work with the wonderful David Page, Russell Dykstra, um, Sibylla Budd, um, all of these talented talented uh, performers and watching them was the most valuable thing it's not that the three years at drama school weren't valuable they absolutely were I wouldn't have understood what to do if I didn't have those tools in place but watching those artists meant that I knew how to use my training and take it into performing. You say, Miranda, a couple of times that you're lucky, and I'm sure you are, but I feel that it's more than luck. Um, There's talent. uh, There's ambition too, and you're tenacious. Um, And that's why at this uh, lovely age, you've got so much to say. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, I am grappling with like the idea of like what is serendipitous and what is hard. It's hard to, it's really hard to determine um, Mm. because I know a lot of people that put themselves out there that work really hard at their craft and, but it's just the thing is that this industry is so um, subjective. It is really hard to, it's not like athletics or football where you can see, oh, that person knows how to run a certain speed across this certain distance or whatever it you know that's all mathematical whereas a director actually needs to like sit in a casting room with an actor and go what oh what is it about this person's personality that just fits this role you know I I know that I put blood sweat and tears into the roles that I play and the things that I write but it is tricky you know because sometimes I'm not always the right fit for something, but it's wonderful that people, people like Wayne Blair and Leah Purcell, and I love that, Leah. Just, I love Leah is so wonderful, and all of these, uh, all of these diligent, hardworking um, Aboriginal artists have, and Wesley as well, have managed to give me that chance. Well, the book is called Top End Girl. Miranda Tapsells, thank you so much for your time. You have inspired me. (laughs) Oh, thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. 
We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.